Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast, or I should have said, what's the, how do you say hello in Italian? Uh, buongiorno. 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 Yeah, there you go. Perfect pronunciation. <laughs> uh, this is the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast, where we talk about movies off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay, and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. We're heading to Italy today. Yes, we are. Um, I wasn't just casually looking for a new greeting to start the show. <laughs> Every episode, we're going to say hello in a different language from now on. And then after that, we're going to cover Cabaret. So, Yeah. <laughs> um, we, today, we are going back to 1975, and we're doing our first Dario Argento movie which is uh, regarded as one of his best. It's a movie called Deep Red. It's number, or Profondo Rosso, if, you're, if you mm. want to go with the original title. Or it was also released under the title The Hatchet Murders, which uh, it's, you've got what? three really interesting titles there because you've got your original uh, Italian, you've got your translation, which I assume Profondo uh-huh. Rosso translates to Deep Red which is yes. interesting and mysterious. And then you've got your drive-in title, which is The Hatchet Murders. <laughs> that doesn't even actually make sense because I don't remember any murder occurring with a hatchet in this? No, no. Uh, very few murders actually happen with any sort of practical weapon at all. So it is, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very not exactly an accurate title. Um, but this is our, it's our first Italian horror movie. It's our first Giallo movie, which I'm uh, excited to talk about a little bit. First Argento movie. Um, had you seen this one before? No, I had not. I had not even heard of this one. Really? Have you, have you seen any, had you seen any uh, Argentos before? You've seen Suspiria, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah and okay. I feel like maybe part of another one, but I, I'm not sure. Mm, yeah. <laughs> His movies very much have that sort of, um. That like fever dream quality yes. to them. Yes, which is definitely something we're going to get get into. Um, this is one that I have seen a couple times. I, I actually, uh, I it took me kind of a while to get into his stuff, um, because I loved Suspiria, mm-hmm. but I didn't think it made a lick of sense, and so yeah. it kind of put me off of that <laughs> fair, a little fair. bit. But then I kind of came around and I was like, well, it's really more the visuals and kind of the dreamlike thing or whatever. And then I, I went and I watched this one. And I had a similar experience the first time where I was like, this is pretty good. It doesn't look as cool as Suspiria. Um, mm. And I don't really it know has if this. Moments. It does. I, I was. The first time I saw it, I was expecting more Suspiria than was in this, I guess, was my issue. And uh, so it took me a while to come around to what's going on here, because I think this one is equally as visually impressive, just in a different way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually, I own this on Blu-ray, but it's ex- <laughs> oh. it's extremely frustrating because the Blu-ray I own, I bought without realizing that it's a Region 2 Blu-ray, so I can't actually play it. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, the company womp, that put womp. it out, the company that put it out, Arrow, Arrow Video, did like this really awesome sale, and I got four, basically got four awesome Blu-rays for like forty bucks. I got, um, Re- uh, Bride of Reanimator, <laughs> Deep Red, 
Black Sabbath and another Giallo movie that's I'm going to kind of talk about in a minute, probably called uh, Blood and Black Lace. And uh, two of two of the four of them work on my DVD player. The other two are out outside my region, so I have to wait and get uh, a multi-region player to watch them someday. That is a tragedy. It is. It is. Uh, but then I also found out as I was going through the basement. I know this is very interesting. Um, I found an old <laughs> set of. You remember? Do you remember at Best Buy in the glory days of DVD? You could get like one of those sets for like 10 bucks it had like 75 horror movies on it and they were all like shitty shitty transfers of stuff that was like public domain and whatnot and x y and z um i was i found one in my basement and i was looking at the titles and i (laughs) i was like what the hell is this movie the hatchet murders and i put that on and it's like it starts off and it says the hatchet murders but it's the deep red music and i was like oh my god I can't believe they just lifted the Deep Red music. <laughs> Turns out, Hatchet Murders is Deep Red. So I wow. I have a pristine Blu-ray copy that I can't watch and a shitty DVD <laughs> transfer that I do not want to watch. So nice. one day, one day I'll, I'll have the, the correct version of Deep Red. But anyway, that's a long, a long way to go. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. play the trailer for you and then we're going to talk about deep red Unnatural kind of death. Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Deep red. Conjecture is that an act of bloodshed was once committed in that house.
Okay, Deep Red from 1975, number 73 on our list with a 96% Rotten Tomatoes rating. Directed by Dario Argento. I know, it's 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 pretty universally praised. <laughs> Directed by Dario Argento, written by Dario Argento and Bernardino Zapponi, and starring David Hemmings, Dario Nicolodi, who just recently passed away, actually, unfortunately, uh, Gabrielle Lavia, Clara Calamai, if I'm probably murdering that, and a and and just a just a sousant of casual '70s misogyny. <laughs> just just a taste. Just a taste. Uh, Amanda, what happens in Deep Red? Yes. A psychic medium is brutally murdered and musician Marcus Daly feels a need to solve the case since he was the one who discovered the body. Working with him is reporter Gianna Brezzi, who hopes for a big scoop by solving the case. When one of Marcus's own friends ends up murdered at the hands of the same killer, the resourceful pair realize they must work fast to uncover the murderer's identity, or they might serve as the maniac's next victims. That's a little misleading, but okay. Yeah, they uh, it leans into some things that don't really come into play much in the movie, but yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, well, Clay. Uh, some things you will find in this movie include mm-hmm. a 20-minute lecture on class struggle. Good length. A 20-minute lecture on gender inequality. Excellent. Like, equal length. <laughs> uh, Chucky's hot Italian cousin. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, the hottest tap water in Italy. Yeah, you you know, you they need to get their water heaters under control there, I think, because clearly it is dangerous. Uh, yeah, some some people got real hurt by that water. Uh some truly excellent music, mm-hmm. genuinely. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the once and always questionable parenting. This... And it features a lot in this yeah. movie. This is another one where I I, I feel like the the alternate title, uh, drive-in title, could have been questionable parenting because it's, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, um, it's pretty high up there on the questionable parenting list. Um, yeah, we really do at some point need to put together a questionable parenting ranking. I I don't know if that's really possible because all of them have it. <laughs> We would literally have to go back and go through. I mean, I guess we probably could because we have that like tier ranking thing. So there, mm-hmm. we might be able to do that at some point and and just from memory, go on the questionable parenting ranking. That would probably be pretty fun, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as as I said, this was our first Giallo movie. Giallo being a Italian film genre that kind of uh, came into prominence in the '60s. And comes from a literary tradition of the same uh, nickname, which comes from it's usually it's basically murder mysteries, and they mm. it's called giallo because giallo is Italian for yellow, and all of the books that were in this genre had a yellow cover, so the shorthand was oh it's their giallo books. Oh, and huh. yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting because it's a cool it's a cool word. <laughs> And it's like yeah, a cool name for a genre, and then to find out that it just means yellow, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, 
Yeah, that's kind of how I was feeling, actually. I was like, oh, all right, yellow, okay. That doesn't make much sense, but that's a much that's a much better explanation than I was expecting. Yeah, and it's the the films tend to be uh, there's they are kind of like Hitchcock movies jacked up a little bit for the '60s and '70s, and they're Mm. uh, they're generally characterized as gruesome murder mystery thrillers that combine the suspense elements of detective fiction with scenes of shocking horror, featuring excessive bloodletting, stylish camera work, and often jarring musical arrangements. Uh, the plots usually involve a mysterious black gu- black gloved psychopathic killer who stalks and butchers a series of beautiful women. Uh, while most giallo or gialli, excuse me, involve a human killer, some also feature a supernatural element. And it can be divided into the male focused gialli, which usually sees a male outsider witness a murder and become the target of the killer, who he attempts to solve. Who sorry become the target of a killer when he attempts to solve the crime and female gialli which features a female protagonist who is embroiled in a more sexual and psych- psychological story typically focusing on her sexuality psyche and fragile mental state because what other story are you going to tell about a woman am i right i mean i guess that's all there is to us yeah i went through a ge- <laughs> that was that was not an agreeing yes <laughs> Uh, I went there. through a I went through a giallo um, binge a couple years ago when I was working on uh, Poser, the the comic series I was doing that was very influenced by this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, these movies get weird and they get misogynistic, <laughs> big time. Yeah, it's... I, I can't say given given the the time period and the general genre trappings. I can't say I'm particularly surprised to hear that. Yeah, it's a lot of it can be a lot of like slapping women around and repressing women and it's it's not it's not great. The thing that turns me off weirdly, no, I guess it makes sense, but the thing that turns me off about these movies is that Argento's movies in particular are very graphically violent. Mm-hmm. And since most of the time it's like a first person point of view of kill like killing more often than not a woman like very brutally it's kind of hard to like not feel icky about that because it it just it it seems like overkill um Mm. but in this one it's interesting because like i'm watching it and i had that in the back of my head and it's like well i mean that dude who gets killed gets killed equally brutally than any anybody else who gets killed in the movie so i don't know but it's when the trend seems to be gloved killer, full frame slicing women's throats and stuff. It seems to kind of just seem like a trend. But um, Argento comes from a uh, he was very influenced by Mario Bava, who is a great Italian horror filmmaker. Who I assume we're going to probably get at some point because I if mm. if none of his stuff is on the list, I'm definitely going to put some on there for our wild cards. He did a movie mm-hmm. called Blood in Black Lace, which is a great giallo from the 60s. And his style, his color style, um, is, a dir- is a direct influence on Argento 
in Suspiria, definitely, uh, definitely. Bava actually helped work on Inferno, which is the movie after that. So they're definitely connected, and he pulls mm. a lot from Bava. Bava was amazing. He, uh, Bob, Mario Bava did Bay of Blood, which we were talking about on the Friday the 13th podcast as, doing, as being mm-hmm. very influential towards Friday the 13th. Um, he also, Argento also, uh, he... He pops up in interesting places. He was a writer on Once Upon a Time in the West, the Sergio Leone movie, which is huh. one of the best westerns, if not the best Italian western ever made. Um, he's famous for doing giallo movies. He's done supernatural stuff too that have a lot of giallo influence in it, a lot of giallo influence in them. I think for the most most I think for most people, if you hear the genre giallo, you're gonna think Dario Argento. So doing this movie, which is a very good um, example of what his Giallo movies are like, I'm excited to talk about it. So that was me talking for a very <laughs> long time. <laughs> hey, it's it's good you were because this kind of horror movie subgenre is not it's 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 a big blind spot for me. So sure. I appreciate some of the background and and all the context. Well, in that with that in mind, what did you think of Deep Red? I ended up really liking it despite my initial like misgivings. I <laughs> I guess I will say. Mm-hmm. Um uh that so there's that first when the when the movie first starts, there's that first scene where you pretty much just see you're like almost the camera's almost like floor level and you see the Christmas tree and some furniture in a room. You hear the creepy kid kid singing music. Mm-hmm. You see some shadows struggling and then there's a bloody knife and a kid's legs from like the knees down. Mm-hmm. That scene got me in that little like moment at the very beginning got me immediately mm-hmm. and i was like "Ooh, okay this is interesting i'm excited to see this i was a little confused by the like the rest of the movie <laughs> paranatural like <laughs> conference in the theater yeah um, yeah like i was still kind of interested but i was a little like thrown i didn't really know what what this was going to turn into. And then we got 20 minutes of two dudes like drinking at a fountain. And I was, I was like, okay, this movie is losing me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then it picked back up. Like it, it definitely, I, I had, I think once I figured out kind of the tone and the tempo and, and, and the sort of like, I got like more into the style of it. I was more able to appreciate it as it went on, but it was a, it was a tough first like 20 minutes for me. Yeah. Yeah. For me with Argento, you really kind of, uh, he managed to find a way to elevate past the murder mystery thing by making his movies very visually interesting and very dreamlike because the tough thing with these sorts of movies is if you're playing it straight it all hangs on how satisfying these the whodunit part of the story is and Mm. like in this movie i don't even know if it really matters at all 
You know, like they they give you an answer to everything, but I'm not. The, when you've got David Hemmings going into this abandoned mansion and using like a shard of glass to chip away at the wall so he can find a children's drawing underneath. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in that because it's like cluing me in on who the murderer might be. It's just like a really visually engaging, arresting sequence. And when you get to the end, when they finally explain that everything, this is the first time where I thought back, why did any of this happen? And it's like you go back and it's like the only reason it happens, the only reason this woman starts killing people is because she went to a conference and a psychic realized she was a psychopath. Yeah. (laughs) And so she has to kill the psychic in order to make sure the psychic doesn't tell anybody. And then it just all snowballs from there. And it's just such a whacked out idea that really doesn't have any bearing on anything other than like the flimsiest of through lines to get you through this story <laughs> and it's his movies i enjoy a lot more once i free myself from trying to figure out whether or not the plot makes sense absolutely i i i think that is kind of the key to this i'm, I'm sort of flipping back really quick through my little my little notebook that i keep all of my notes about our uh our movies in which we're gonna do a kickstarter for and publish and we're gonna pull in a lot of a lot of money for both of our notes i think (laughs) please please no you don't want to see this (laughs) um it's a lot of me writing like what the fuck and then crossing a bunch of shit out and then just scribbling jokes to myself that i think are funny and are objectively not funny well that's basically Um, james joyce isn't it oh no he thought he was funny oh okay You got to have that confidence, that swagger to pull it off. That's that's the only way it works. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I was I was going to say this movie, the thing that this movie does so well is that sort of it gives you all of these great images and moments and and like the sort of atmosphere and the feeling is so strong and and so like you know, like stylistically, it's just so coherent, like mm. that you stop. Yeah, you stop wondering all of the sort of real life, practical, logistical questions. Um, it's the kind of thing that other movies, especially horror movies, have to kind of go out of their way to provide the audience with reasons and and sort of set things up why that like we've talked about it before like with um cabin in the woods that premise does a great job of telling you why there is no help coming and why you know why these kids why this place why are there no police officers coming why are there no neighbors um this movie (laughs) Deep Red doesn't give you any reasons why anything is really happening. It just kind of saturates you so quickly and intensely in the atmosphere that you just don't even really think about it because you're so busy being immersed in this like series of images and sounds that's just kind of cascading into you. Yeah, it it I think it covers itself. It, it's sort of uh, uh to use the narrative cone analogy. It sort of covers it 
it's it sort of covers its how wide its narrative cone goes with the dreamlike sort of trippy trippy's not the right word because it's not like psychedelic but it's just it's a yeah. very dreamlike movie that's very specifically designed the backgrounds are very specifically designed anybody else who is on screen aside from the actors who are talking are very specifically choreographed and placed it just presents this atmosphere it's a very atmospheric movie and that mm-hmm. does a lot to cover the fact that the Italian police are not interested at all in any of this. Yeah. You know, it's David Hemmings is is he's a jazz pianist. Yeah. And he's investigating the murder of this woman he didn't know who he and just he's not happened even from there. No, he's yeah. British. And he's not like he never butts into the authorities really as as any sort of like uh, uh, roadblock. Or it's not like the authorities aren't doing their job. They just kind of like disappear. And it's mostly him just floating through this this story. Yeah. And you kind of don't care because it is so clearly set up in this sort of atmospheric semi-dream state that it, it like subconsciously makes sense that it would just be him doing this and not him filling out paperwork to try and get the sergeant at the local precinct to come down and look at some evidence evidence he found, you know? Yeah, it definitely, it does operate on that sort of, like, like you said, it's not trippy, it's not psychedelic, but it operates on that kind of dream logic um, that, you know, like a, a lesser version of this movie would have him, trying to solve this murder to clear his name because he was the prime suspect. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that would be the the kind of like, if this movie were redone now or had been made now, that would be the, the driving force behind why is he so invested in this? Why is he trying to, to figure this out? Why isn't he going to the police? Mm-hmm. It would be, Oh, well he heard this woman scream and he found her. And then the cops suspected that he did it. Um, and that doesn't really happen in this. The, the cops are sort of the, the, the one time I think we actually see them. Um, or maybe maybe the first time maybe they show up later. I don't really remember. I think they show up like twice. Yeah. <laughs> but the first time we see them, one of them brings in a thermos full of like espresso and is like yes, pouring them yeah. little tiny cups of coffee while they're like standing in this crime scene where this woman's dead body is like right over there. Right. And they're just sort of sharing some coffee with him and and asking him like, so wait, Oh, you live upstairs. Oh, okay. And then the, the, uh, the journalist woman, Gianna comes in Mm -hmm. and it's all Mm -hmm. very friendly and hanging out with some, in one of the best character introductions I can think of, of recent memories where she just kind of breezes in and goes, hi everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Hi. Hey, it just starts taking pictures. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting because there's no real reason the main character Marcus should be following any of this up. He's he's not connected to this woman. It's just like out of sheer curiosity and the fact that once he starts poking his nose around, the killer starts coming after him. Right. But even there, like it's like just don't poke your nose in it and you'll be fine. There's nothing driving him to figure this out other than the fact that nobody else is doing it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like he could have just 
because there's that great scene pretty early on when he's in his apartment and he's he's at his piano and he's composing i think and the the point of view of the camera keeps going back and forth between kind of sitting with him at his piano and then following the killer as the killer like cuts across the roof and then comes mm-hmm. down into the building and starts coming into his apartment and first of all i love that scene because i think it does it it builds the suspense really well mm. And it's kind of relatable because it's that thing that I think everyone has done at some point in their life, whether it was like the first time you were left home alone as a kid or you've moved into a new apartment or like you just watched a really scary movie or something and you feel like somebody's watching you or you feel like somebody's in the house with you, Mm. but you're trying to convince yourself that you're being ridiculous. So you keep kind of stopping what you're doing and maybe acting like you're going to go look around and then you sit back down and then you you pick up something like, well, I'll just hold this like heavy object next to me in case I need a weapon. Well, no, now mm-hmm. I'm being silly. And then like, then he sees the shadow moving across the floor in the other part of his apartment and the phone rings and it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's it's a great scene with a really great kind of, close call climax to it, which I think is really well done. Yeah. And I think what, what tops it off too is I think most people might end that scene kind of like if you want to compare it to the scene in scream where the ghost face comes at, um, Sydney at her house and she kind of has the close call and then doesn't really come in contact with ghost face. And then it's diffused because Dewey shows up and that's sort of the end of it. I feel like most most of the times you would have this sort of thing where he reacts, he shuts the door, and whatever causes the killer to to scurry away. What happens here is he shuts the door, and then the killer talks to him through the door. Yeah. And it is so creepy. Yeah, and you know I'm a sucker for creepy voices, and this one's yeah. a really good one. <laughs> and I, I forget exactly what, what, what they say, but it's something like, I'm going to kill you soon enough or something like that. It's just It's really surprisingly effective. Yeah, a lot of a lot of like traditional horror elements in this movie are surprisingly effective, especially when you consider sort of like the the color palette and and the settings for for a lot of these different moments where it's like you know, oftentimes we're in very bright apartments. We're mm-hmm. in these like kind of like groovy 70s style like they look a little like kishy and silly to us now um and everything's very brightly lit and yet these moments are still like genuinely off-putting and and, like disturbing it's Mm. it's really impressively done yeah and i i love i really enjoy the use of space in this because it's it's so stark where you've got these shots of david hemmings in this just completely abandoned like intersection that's you just get this big wide shot and when they go down to the street where he's hanging out with his buddy and they're drinking they're in front of like this giant statue but there's like a big expanse behind them with no people around yeah or the big house that he goes into it's just very big and very empty and very just open and that he he uses that to pretty good effect to amp up the kind of 
just open air tension and it, it really adds to the dreamlike nature of it because you've got these big spaces with very few people in them so it feels extra weird there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this which isn't like overtly um scary or overtly uh what's the word i'm looking for um troubling but yeah he just puts a little bit of spin on it enough so it something about it feels off. For instance, I I assume you would probably get in a lot of trouble if you did this now, but uh, he goes, Marcus goes to find his friend, his drunk friend, and finds him at the home of his friend's lover, mm-hmm. and it which turns it, it which reveals to to Marcus that his friend is gay when his lover answers the door. His lover being a man, however, it's a it's a man being played by a woman with a man's voice dubbed over it. So huh. she's she's like a very kind of androgynous looking um, like model type with a fake mustache on and like men's clothing <laughs> and a man's voice. But there's just something like uncanny valley enough for you to recognize that there's this it's not a one-to-one here this isn't a man you know it's it's just yeah you probably can't like i said you probably couldn't do that now without there being some dust up from that but it's just it's just enough to kind of catch you off guard well right because you what what you see visually and then what you hear doesn't really match Mm -hmm. like that voice doesn't look like it should come out of that body and so there is that like that kind of moment where you you pause and you're trying to like your brain is kind of trying to catch up with what you're seeing and what you're hearing and reconcile the two Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of examples of that like visually throughout the movie one of the weird things i actually wanted to ask you about was what do you think about a lot of the water imagery there's a lot of focus on like faucets being turned on there's a lot mm-hmm. of moments where people put liquid in their mouth just to kind of let it all like dribble out like you're pouring a cup again oh really i don't i don't know if i picked up on that actually uh, yeah i bet like go next time you next time you watch through it take take a look i think um there's the faucet that she turns on in the in the bathroom at the lecture hall mm-hmm. at the very beginning. Um, Helga, they try to give Helga some water and she essentially puts it in her mouth and then just lets it all come out again. That's right. I do remember that. Yeah. Um, and then. Oh, my God. What is the, the other guy who gets <laughs> who gets killed by Chucky's Italian cousin? Mm-hmm. Um He's drinking tea or coffee out of a out of a like china cup and he drinks right. it and then immediately lets it all fall That's out right. again and there's a couple other like faucets turning on that it's very like focused on it's it's a weird image that I I haven't quite figured out what the meaning behind it was or what sort of like associations it was supposed to draw but it was very sure. like yeah it had that like cognitive dissonance of you know, you watch somebody, you think they're going to drink and swallow their drink, and instead they just spit it all out and then keep yeah. talking. It was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. But yeah, all those scenes that you brought up, I was like, yeah, those are, there's something weird about that. There's just uh, uh, something a little bit unsettling about the way that they do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
one of the things that I love that Argento does, uh, he's done it in a few movies. Again, it's kind of a, it's kind of a use of this sense of space. Is he, this sort of like discovery threshold moment? Where in this one, I would say it's when Marcus chips the drywall off the wall to reveal this big uh, children's disturbing children's drawing on the wall where mm-hmm. it's 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 basically going into a situ a situation or a space that you think you have an understanding of and then having it open up into something you weren't expecting like in inferno which was uh, uh, the two movies after this after Suspiria it was the movie he did after Suspiria Mm-hmm. There's this great scene towards the beginning where the this woman goes into this building and opens and there's a puddle on the floor of the basement of the building and she drops a key into it by accident and so she has to go get the key but when she goes into the puddle the puddle actually reveals itself to be she's standing on the ceiling of another floor of the building. So she has to swim down into another part of the building to get this key. And it's just not something you're, you're, you're expecting. It's just opening up into this. It's just, it's very much in that dreamlike sense where you think you have an idea of what this space is like, but then you enter it and it turns into something completely different. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. He does do, he does a lot of that um even in this one maybe not quite so explicitly but like that scene where the the two like uh marcus and his his buddy carlo are talking and the camera kind of pans out and yeah you see that like gigantic fountain and it's Mm -hmm. the scale is very weird it does like it kind of shifts your perspective of like where they are um Huh. No, it's inter- it is interesting. Like the way he plays with space, even the fact that there's a in that abandoned villa, there's that hidden room. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. I, I should have pointed to that one instead of the paint chipping thing. But but yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about, uh, where there's a space that you think you understand. And then he put you push through into this other new element that is is in some way uh, uh uh, disturbing or scary or, or unnerving in some way. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he does it is, I, I think, is it Suspiria? The one where the girl's trying, I can't remember if it's Suspiria or Inferno, the one where the girl is trying to get away and she climbs up through a window and ends up falling into a room just filled with barbed wire, like a big room filled with barbed wire. Oh. Yeah, I can't remember which one. It, it's one of the two. I can't remember which one. But, uh, I- don't remember <laughs> yeah maybe that's inferno but in inferno he does it a couple times where you know oh uh obviously uh suspiria has the thing with the flowers on the wall where she discovers like this mm. new, this door that opens up into the into the witch area where the witches hang out <laughs> that's what they call it right it's like the, the witches are a coven and they have an area where they hang out yeah i mean that's what my husband calls my half of the bedroom <laughs> He also um, he tends to use artists or or characters who are some sort of artist or, or creative person as his protagonist, which is kind of interesting. Uh, in the Cat of Nine Tales, 
It's a newspaper reporter in Tenebrae. It's a uh, an American writer. I think it's actually like a might be a crime writer. Uh, phenomena. It's not. It's not an artist, but it's a it's a girl who can talk to bugs. So make of that what you will. <laughs> opera is a young opera singer. Um, Suspiria clearly is obviously is a, a, a ballet student. I I don't know if there's a a reason for that, but I do find it to be an interesting choice that it's always it's not just the outsider that is the prerequisite for the giallo story it's it's an, it's many times there's an outsider who is also an artist of some sort yeah that that is interesting especially where with the sort of murder mystery crime thrillers that are a huge part of the genre typically those kinds of stories focus on like law enforcement or mm-hmm you know maybe and maybe a newspaper writer like a crime writer i could i could see that too but having it be you know a, a pianist or an opera singer or a ballet dancer is definitely quite a break from the sort of stereotypical like you know the like almost noir-ish detective fiction elements that are in some of these films mm yeah and it's it's so fascinating that he chooses a, a jazz pianist to be the the main character of this one because it's just like it's not. I don't know if it's supposed to just lend a different texture to the story or something, giving you an excuse to have scenes where your character is playing the piano or is involved t- talking about music or something or talking about art. Um, but it certainly doesn't give them a reason to want to be involved in the mystery. I can tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure there's some very artistic reason why having a jazz pianist is actually the perfect and only protagonist for this movie because the film itself is like a jazz piece with these free associations coming. I'm sure there's some crazy, you know, somebody wrote a thesis on that. Mm. <laughs> Argento is also famous, I think I said earlier, for uh, the graphicness of the killings in his movies. Suspiria is generally regarded as being a movie that's somehow both grotesque and beautiful at the same time. Like he turned murder into an art piece, like mm-hmm. the Joker wanted to do in the first Batman movie. <laughs> um. I feel like the ki- how do you feel about the murders in this movie because I feel like they are not they're definitely not beautiful but they are definitely unique and interesting. Yeah, I I would call them striking. Yeah. Um like they they're very as, like at different moments they're very strong images. They're images that will like stick with you they're unusual no nobody just gets stabbed or like just gets shot everybody who mm. dies in this movie it, it's pretty elaborate around what happens to them whether it's like an extended scene of them getting their mouth jammed into various corners mm. of furniture in the room and you know kind of the, the symbolism behind that is whatever you want it to be <laughs> I um, I read that uh, apparently when they were 
when they were planning out what sort of murders they were going to do in this movie, they specifically th- thought of the ones that they did because Argento said people can't um, – no one <laughs> – most people have not been stalked by a machete or knife-wielding maniac, but plenty of people have thought about possibly drowning or falling and hitting their face on a corner of the furniture or something. Or like he, he specifically picked methods of murder that are slightly more relatable. Uh, hmm. And in doing that, I think it makes it that much more jarring because when he puts that lady's face through the glass of the window, which he loves right. to do, like he does that in like four movies. He really likes putting ladies' yeah. faces through glass. I'm not really sure why. Um. There is something you don't see that a lot, but at the same time, that is a very like domesticated murder, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because the the weapon the 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 weapon or means of death isn't like you know somebody threw a grenade at you or something. Right. <laughs> it's like yeah, this lady died because she was drowned in her bathtub or or whatever, which is like. Every everybody or most people have a bathtub in their house somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She, you know, that lady who gets scalded and drowned. Really, oh, I applaud her commitment to sentence structure. Oh yeah, even though it didn't help her out too much because she. <laughs> it she, was. Yeah, she doesn't just write the name of the person. <laughs> she makes sure to write the full sentence and clearly doesn't make it to the end. Yeah, yeah, she makes it five letters in and then expires yeah yeah um yeah they i it's it's funny because even 40 years on i do still find the violence in this movie fairly shocking and i it's it's not as maybe it's because i don't watch this movie as much as i've watched some other things but like i find the the methods of murder more um disturbing in this than i do in like a friday the 13th movie or something like that and i'm not sure what it is about it that makes it play that way i wonder if part of it is the length like each Mm -hmm. individual murder in this movie feel at least it feels when you're watching it like it takes a bit of time right um like nobody really like the, the the quickest the quickest death is the murderer herself when she dies um right like right. you know there's a bit of a struggle between her and marcus but when but when she dies it's actually pretty it's gruesome but it's pretty efficient in terms of like how long it takes but most of the other people like they go through a pretty brutal beating before they actually die and i wonder if that's part of what makes it feel a little a little tougher to watch because you do have to sit with it longer. It's not just like, you know, Michael Myers walks up and stabs you in the in the in the chest and then you fall over and die or whatever, you know. Yeah, I think that's why the way that these movies kill their kill women bothers me more than some other movies because like in a Friday the 13th movie yeah, they're going to scream and they're going to get a knife in the face or whatever. But it's it's over fairly quick. But in these ones, yeah, they they tend to be more drawn out and there te- there tends to be more of a exploitation angle 
to the way that they're killed. Um, like I like the the first big murder in Suspiria, where she the she gets like knocked around and then like stabbed mm. a bunch of times and then they mm-hmm. like zoom in so you can actually see him stabbing her in the heart and then yeah. she gets thrown through the thing and like hung by the neck it's it's a lot you know yeah. <laughs> it it kind of it feels like maybe he's enjoying this a bit too much um well yeah but and- even Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, but even so, like, the the guy in this one, his buddy who gets killed by, well, distracted by the creepy doll, which I don't really know how that makes any sense in this movie, but it's creepy, so whatever. Um, <laughs> he just gets his, like, f- his teeth, specifically his teeth, Ooh. repeatedly bashed on the edge of, like, a coffee table. And, it, yeah, it's just, like, it's not, like, once... Or twice, it's like a cup. It's like three or four times where you just really, they really let you sit in it for a while. Yeah, and isn't it, um, if I remember correctly, isn't it often from the point of view of the killer? Almost always, yes. Yeah, so not only are you sitting in it for a while, but you've been put in the position of the perpetrator. So it's mm-hmm. like you're watching this extended gruesome scene and you're also being made to feel complicit like you're the one doing it from your it's like from your point of view so i i think those two things kind of work together to heighten that feeling of like revulsion and and being like oh why is this bothering me so much even with this like cheesy 70s makeup blood that's Mm. like looks like you know fire engine red paint (laughs) it still bothers you i think there's you could make an argument that that's a more i don't know if responsible is the word to use but it's not tossing it's not throwing away the concept of murder as being something that's just like a quick adrenaline boost and then you're on to the next thing they're actually like making you sit in it and kind of deal with it um which so so you're still kind of conscious of how brutal what you're watching actually is and it's not just Oh, isn't it fun that he she was in a sleeping bag and got whacked against a tree? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no like, oh, that was a great gag. You know, like mm. you don't have that feeling in this movie. It's never yeah. like, you know, like Jason's funnest kills. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the creepy doll. Oh, but before we get off, before we get off the killing, uh, talk about extended, <laughs> extended kills. Poor Carlo, man. He oh gets like he gets killed on a level that I can only compare <laughs> to like do you remember um I don't know how well you remember the uh Naked Gun Oh god very very little <laughs> Well there's so the way the bad guy gets killed in the Naked Gun is he gets like shot and then he falls off a cliff he falls off like a balcony and lands in the street and then a marching band watch it walks oh, over him. Yeah. You know, it's like this like over <laughs> yeah. and over and over again. And poor Carlo just basically gets the same treatment where he gets clipped by a car with a hook that grabs him and drags him around. And then the car takes yeah. a corner, which swings him into like the curb or the light post, which bashes him in the head. And then uh, <laughs> he ends up under the wheels of a car and gets run over by like a fire truck or something and like right over the head yeah and he doesn't even turn out to be the killer yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's like you, you, it's not quick. Again, it's another one where yeah. it's like you follow him stumbling out into the street and then he gets caught by the car and then he's pulled for like a few blocks. Like it's not like they just catch him, pull him around the corner and bash his head in. It's like, no, he goes for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty rough. Yeah, and it's, I have to imagine the reason they do that is to to preserve the fact that he's not the actual killer like they 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 send him out like he's the killer and kind of lull you into this idea that the the story is over um then to set you up for the 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 final bit with the mother at the end um because otherwise that's man that's just a lot yeah (laughs) but even i mean we can get into this later because i do want to talk about well yeah let's 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 go back to what you were going to bring up, and then I will ask more about Carlo and and the red herring that is Carlo later on. Well, uh, we may as well talk about it now because I was going to ask ask you how you felt about the ending because we do get this. The body of this movie is a fairly uh, it's a straightforward kind of like murder mystery thing that is bookended by this insane story about a mother who killed her husband in front of her child and it turns out that carlo is the child and Mm -hmm. somehow carlo ends up getting assumed to be the killer but it turns out the mother is the killer and it's it's they (laughs) drop a lot of exposition on you like right at the end to explain this weird shit and um yeah, it's it's very it's a very strange bookend to a movie that is fairly straightforward. Yeah, I mean, so I actually it is a very strange bookend, but I like it. Mm. Um because I was going to ask how you felt about the whole red herring of setting Carlo up to look like he was the murderer. Like, does did that convince you the first time you watched this? Did you feel like, oh, wow, I guess it had to have been him? Um, I honestly don't remember the, the first time if if I if, if it worked for me. I kind of feel like it probably didn't because story wise, yeah. it's, it's pretty unsatisfying. <laughs> if it's just well, and <laughs> here was here, I bring it up because I was immediately like, there's no way it's him. Mm-hmm. Because he's with Marcus when he hears the woman scream right. in the apartment. And then when Marcus finds the body, the person in the brown raincoat walks down the street and off to the left. And then from the right-hand side, Carlo walks back into frame. Yeah. So Marcus is a pretty bad friend. Cause... Yeah, because he's like ready to believe it. <laughs> yeah, he's going down this rabbit hole assuming that Carlo is this killer when... After Carlo's already dead, he's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. No, it couldn't have been him. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. It kind Oops. of like. Yeah. It just, it, it bothered me a little bit because I, I don't know. I, I understand wanting to have, like, this is definitely the kind of movie that is set up in such a way that from the very beginning, once the murders start, you're kind of trying to figure out at least on at least you're curious about who who did it who is doing it Mm. 
And at least for me, I assumed it was somebody we'd been introduced to. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, like that limits your your suspect pool somewhat. But I mean, they do kind of run into a lot of randos. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, like there's a there's a lot of room for it to be somebody else's as a they, as a red herring. They because of an offhanded comment from someone else, Marcus hears a story about a haunted house, yeah. which someone is like, I read it in, in a, book. a book about haunted houses. He finds folklore. that book. Folklore, yeah. He <laughs> finds that book with that story in it, which apparently means it's a known, a known story enough to be written down and published in a book. Based on the picture in the book, finds the house, goes to the house, and it turns out that this this house that has a story baked into it enough to have turned into folklore that is published turns out to be the house of his best friend who grew, when he grew up. <laughs> it's just it's like it's so whacked. It's so whacked, and it's yeah. It's that's what I think is so fascinating about this because murder mysteries usually live or die on how tightly plotted they are, because. You know, you're you're constantly trying to figure out who the killer is, and when you get to the end, if it turns out to be a character that you didn't never heard of, it's always unsatisfying, and it's you always end up going back and being like, well, that doesn't make any sense because this doesn't work and that doesn't work. Whereas this yeah. one is just so weird, and there's some it the the catalyst for everything is weird. Like I said, it's a it's a psychic who happens to pick up the fact that the someone in the audience. <laughs> Is a killer or a psychopath? Is the but? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just say it's it's just from from the psychic get kicking the whole thing off to him <laughs> stumbling across this house based on a uh, folklore that he read in a book to the ending where the mother explains everything. It's just it the tightness of the mystery is completely inconsequential <laughs> you know it, it is but at the same time possibly my favorite thing about this movie is that so you know we we watched it and we chatted about it a little bit as we watched it and that was my first time watching it and then of course once it was over i went back and i re-watched the scene where he goes into the psychic's apartment. Mm-hmm. Yep. And did, you know, the whole the thing, thing is predicated on when he walks down the hall, he thinks he sees a painting, mm-hmm. but he realizes at the very end, towards the very end of the movie that he did not see a painting. He saw a reflection, which is great. That's a really great bit. It's so great because she is there. Yes. Yeah. Like you go back and if you spot that, if you're like eagle eyed enough to spot that at the beginning, then the whole mystery aspect of the movie doesn't matter to you because you've already seen who it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so. But I, at the I, same time, though, it's if you if it's your first time seeing it, it's so quick that even if you do register that it's a person's face, I don't necessarily know you put together that it's Carlos mother, you know, because I mean, you probably wouldn't because it is you know it is a reflection and it's Mm -hmm. fast and it's you haven't met her yet so you don't have a a face to kind of match it to but i still love that even if you do if you see it 
and you do manage when you first meet Carlo's mother and you go, oh my God, that's her. She was in the apartment. Like mm-hmm. this movie is almost like good for you <laughs> that you saw that, but you still need to see all this other stuff. Right. Yeah. Like the whodunit aspect of it doesn't really matter. It's more of the like these weird visual vignettes that you're getting that are the point rather than catching the killer. Right, right. Which is which is nice because it I, I th- first of all I think the the reflection bit is another um example of of s- putting something in there that is just off enough that you kind of like subconsciously register it as unsettling cuz like even mm-hmm. if you don't necessarily pick up that there's someone in there I think it's I think it's enough where it's like well that's a face and your brain is registering something. Oh yeah. Because um, even when they go back and when they when they show that it's a it's a woman's face there it's very creepy. And yeah, and there are all those creepy faces in the actual paintings on that hallway. Right, right. So she's her face is out of place, but not completely unexpected. So right. your eye is even even more so. Your eyes are going to maybe gloss over her and assume that she's just another weird piece of surrealist art. Right, right. But the I, I find it a little bit refreshing to, to see this kind of approach to a murder mystery just because, like, the I, I also kind of think that the, the downfall of a murder mystery is is one where you're too concerned with the plot, if that makes sense. Like if you spend the whole mm-hmm. time, if if the story spends the whole time trying to construct this uh, textbook of movement and action, it can it can get kind of tedious. And to have a movie like this where it's got this mi- murder mystery thing, but it is pretty whacked out, and it's more about the atmosphere than it is about figuring out who the killer is. It it is mm-hmm. a nice different way to experience that kind of story my only question i don't know how you feel about this is if you remove the tight plotting from something a story like this does it have the do you run the the risk of having your story the middle of your story just kind of end up feeling like a bunch of pointless murders you know what i mean if you if you can't If you can't see where this is going or what it's driving towards or or if you can't if you don't have any direction as to who it might be pointing at, does it then turn into just here's another scene where he's walking around and somebody gets brutally murdered? You know, I I think it does run that risk. And I think were this movie... If this if this movie were not so successfully and highly stylized, um, mm. I think this movie would fall into that trap as well. Because so I I rewatched most of it just to pay uh, a little less attention to the because this movie really is like a series of scenes. Yeah, yeah. Um. And I noticed even as I watched it the first time that I was kind of fading in and out of attention in the sort of transitional moments and, and the sort of bits and pieces in between these bigger set pieces. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I rewatched it kind of forcing myself to like almost skip through the, the, the slower, more suspenseful scenes and pay more attention to, um, you know, Marcus and the other dude are like walking down the street together and talking and like, okay, right. what were they actually saying to one another? <laughs> like, um, and this movie, in those moments, this movie does try to maintain some form of a narrative scaffolding. I don't know how good a job it does at that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because like you were like you were saying, oh, he just he happened to hear about this book and but it's it's a little less happened to and more that he went to those two guys who'd been working with the psychic. Sure, sure. Yeah. And one of them told him about it and told him where to find it. So he went to find it and he found the entry about the house. And then he went to track down the author of the book to find out more about the house. Mm-hmm. And then she was killed. And then I, I kind of lost it there again about like, how did he actually end up at this house? I, I love that the, the murderer had the forethought to kill the person who wrote about the book, <laughs> who wrote I know. the book about her old house. <laughs> about her old house. <laughs> It's really, it's, uh, really yeah, tying up the loose ends there. Yeah. Um, but it took her a long time, though. <laughs> I knew I knew Just when like, I gave her the rights to that story, this was going to come I back know. to bite me. And now I have to go kill her. I'm sorry. 30 years too late, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, this. so this movie, it, it does sort of make some sort of gesture at an attempt to have a plot. <laughs> Um, but I, I think, I think the reason why this movie is still interesting and, and fun to watch is that it has this very specific style. It has Mm. like, clearly Argento has his, his vision for how he wanted things to, to look and to feel. Um, it still has some extremely excellent music. Yes, but, which we do have to talk about a little bit, yeah. Yes, we do. But it, but if you take those things away from it and you made it less of this sort of like auteur, like vision of the world, it would be a nonsense movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like, Plot-wise, it would completely fall apart. And yeah, just be kind of a loosely connected string of extremely gruesome murders with a bunch of children's toys and a guy at a piano. Yes, it is it is very much kind of a transitional movie for Argento because his movies before this were pretty straightforward, traditional hmm. giallo movies. Oh, okay. And this one gets, you know, as we're saying, gets a lot more atmospheric. It gets kind of dreamlike. And there's just infusions of the suggestion of the supernatural. There's no supernatural mm. stuff in this. Well, unless you want to count specifically the psychic. But... You've got the psychic thing that kicks everything off, and then you've got the halfway, like you're saying, halfway through it turns into like a haunted house story, yeah, <laughs> slightly, and like a fo- he's looking up a folklore book and author and stuff, and his style kind of starts to to drift away from reality, and then in the next movie he does Suspiria, which is. Like I said, it's, it has a lot of the Giallo trappings as far as like the the, the character, the outsider coming in mm-hmm. uh, to a new situation, who finds out that these 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 killings are happening, but 
it's in the run witch through area. this in the witch area, yes. <laughs> but it's run through this much more supernatural uh expressionistic filter that makes things really 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 interesting in a it, that movie makes even less sense than this one does if i'm being oh, yeah. honest but <laughs> that see, that's that's the thing like i didn't really appreciate his movies until i kind of shut that part of my brain off and i don't mean that in like a this movie's dumb but mm-hmm. you kind of have to release yourself from traditional film plot structure to kind of just experience these these movies yeah if you are a very analytical person who likes uh things to flow in a somewhat logical progression this Mm -hmm. is not the movie for you no 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 (laughs) um we didn't even really talk about diary nicolodi uh she was argento's i i'm not sure if they were married but they were uh in a relationship, a long-term relationship together for, for a while. And mm. she actually co-wrote Suspiria with him and was a big uh, inspiration for that when he did that movie. But her character in this is is very... It's really interesting because she's presented as a red herring, right? Would you say? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would I would say so. Because the, the, the main... The main reason i say that is because when he finds that room in the house someone knocks him out and sets the house on fire and when he comes to they do this very slow pan up to reveal that she uh, gianna is the one who is there with him and i was watching it this time going like man that's really the kind of shot you do when you're revealing who your killer is yeah and which it turns out not to be the case but they play her in this really interesting role where, as you know, you said at, at the top, there's this kind of long-winded explanation about gender inequality, yeah. <laughs> which actually, it's kind of her only purpose is to be like, a, well, it could be a woman who ki- who ki- <laughs> you know, because they have yeah. that scene where they have the arm wrestling match and she beats him at arm wrestling. And you get a little bit of the the casual misogyny from him being like, well, you know, women are, they can't arm wrestle. A woman couldn't do anything like this, which is really just kind of setting up the idea that a woman did do this. Right. But that's kind of her whole role in the movie. She's just sort of like the, uh, I don't think she's a, too much of a cliche because her character is, seems it does seem fairly progressive for a female character in a movie like this at that time but she doesn't really have a ton to do yeah she she is a little like kind of his girl friday ish yes yeah um or or she falls into that it's interesting because in the first half of the movie when she appears she's very much the one who's like I'm going to figure out who did this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I am sticking with this. This is an amazing story. I'm going to be the one to bust it wide open. I'm going to do this. I don't need you. It, feel, it feels like it's going to be like a two-hander. Like, it's going to be the two of them investigating things. And then she kind of drops away. Yeah, which is weird because you would think she she's the one who's the journalist. You would think he would maybe be asking 
I don't know what like like you think she, she would be more involved. Yeah, she should be the one investigating the killing, not the pian- yes. pianist. Yeah, I would <laughs> this this movie I feel like I love the idea of either her being the main character who is going through all this mm-hmm. or her actually being the killer would be kind of amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz she does prove she's stronger than him. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. She could probably throw that other girl around and put her through a window. Then she does a thing where she like takes her makeup off and she's actually a 70-year-old woman. <laughs> and and Carlo's mom. Or she had a mask or something. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um you know, yeah, her her character is interesting because it, it you know, you you said, "Oh, we we barely even talked about her." And it's like cuz she's kind of there's not a lot to talk about with her. Right, right. Unfortunately, she's sort of introduced like she's going to be this like firecracker and kind of like, you know, busting his balls a little bit and 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 pushing him harder to to go further. And instead, she's sort of in the early scenes and then she kind of disappears for a while and then she's back with him only to get stabbed. Right, yeah. And that's kind of it. She makes it she lives right yeah yeah it's uh they yeah i think i think she kind of serves her purpose ultimately as a red herring because they the way that they have her get stabbed is is very much kind of like the oh it's not her sequence you know yes (laughs) yeah yeah um i have one final question what the hell is that doll like you want to talk about stuff that is like nightmare oh fuel or dreamlike that doesn't really have any basis in reality. Like, wh- wh- where does it come from? What was the point of it, <laughs> other than to be other than like just a creepy image? I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I think it's it's one of like the defining images of the movie, but it's just like, what? Why? <laughs> yeah, I was to, to answer your your first questions of. Uh, where does it come from? I think the answer is hell. Yeah, I guess. Uh, what is the point of it? And that is to haunt your dreams for the rest of your natural life. Like was was Carlos' That's mom? It. Was Carlos' mom rolling up to that dude's house, being like, "Oh, this is gonna be so good. I brought the doll with me. I just, I guess, you know, wind it up. This is gonna be amazing. I'm gonna do the doll thing. It's gonna freak him out, and I'm gonna bash his face on the table." Yeah, yeah, probably. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder if you go by. I, I wonder if that doll is anywhere else in the movie, because I I wasn't thinking to look for it, but I wonder if it's like in the background at her house, or maybe is it is it in the the, the flashback sequences at the beginning? I don't even. Maybe it's in there. It wouldn't surprise me if it was, but it doesn't stand out to my in my memory. Well, and there there are a couple weird weird scenes where it's just like music and the camera lingering on like children's toys Mm, yes do you remember those part those moments it's just like Mm -hmm. kind of the camera drifting over a series of 70s children's paraphernalia Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know that's a good question though That that would be really freaky if it was just like tucked away in a corner in her apartment when marcus goes to visit her yeah Either way, it's very, very lasting image, and it is. I've seen this movie th- two or three times, and it still freaks me out every time that thing comes, like, you know, clomp clomping out of the the closet or wherever the hell it came from. Oh yeah, it's fr- it's freaky as hell, and it's like yeah. the lead up to it is another one of those 
kind of long, slow, suspense-building moments where you like he knows the the guy that it's going to come after. What is his name? It's another G name. Everybody's name starts with a G. Um, but like like it's that that building of the suspense, and he sort of picked up this knife that's on his desk, and he's sipping mm-hmm. his tea. It's another one of the like. I'm going to drink my tea and then let it spill down the front of my shirt Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, moments. And then he stands there in the far corner of the room and the camera keeps switching between his point of view, looking across the room at the closed door. And then the point of view, like a couple feet up from the floor that like Mm -hmm. will be the doll's point of view when it gets through the door. (laughs) (laughs) Then that thing just bangs like the door just bangs open on its own and that thing just comes charging at him yeah very effective extremely effective it's that one will stick with me and uh lastly the music obviously by goblin which uh is a (laughs) progressive rock band from italy I, i believe they're italian who uh i guess argento had someone else that he hired to do the score and he wasn't happy with the stuff that he was doing, so he fired that guy. He tried to get Pink Floyd to do it. He couldn't get Pink Floyd. <laughs> and fools. so, yeah, so then he came across uh, uh, Claudio Simonetti and, and his band Goblin. And it is the first of, I band. think, 10 collaborations between Argento and Goblin, if not Goblin and Simonetti, if not, uh, sorry, 10 collaborations between Argento and Simonetti, if not Argento and Goblin, because it's not always Goblin. It's, sometimes it's just the, the one guy. Wow, um, I didn't realize it was so many. Yeah, they did They did uh, uh, this. They did Suspiria. They mm-hmm. did, I think they did, did they do Phenomena? I don't know if they did Phenomena, but they, they're also famously the group who did the music for Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah, uh, there was a I can't I can't remember all of these obscure seventies horror movie facts run together in my brain, but I know that there Come is on, a Clay. there is a connection between Romero and Argento, and there is a cut of the movie. Uh, there is a cut of Dawn of the Dead that I believe Argento cut for European release. So they're buddies, and you know, X, oh, y, and Z, but that's cool. Yeah, it's great music. I have the Suspiria album. Um, it's they they do very cool music. Uh, I'm actually watching this again. I was like, I probably should pick this one up too. It's very cool. It's it's really good, and it's it's so it's so weird in a great way because it's not really the type of music you would usually, especially as like a modern day American horror movie fan. Mm. It's not the kind of music I would associate with these sorts of scenes and and plot lines and plot twists and and murders like i would not have pegged if you had shown me this movie without the soundtrack i would not have guessed that this would be the soundtrack for this movie yeah yeah argento has some really interesting uses of music like in phenomena i think most of the soundtrack is like heavy metal songs oh awesome yeah and so you know you've got where usually you're expecting, oh, Argento, they're gonna, he's gonna do some weird prog rock, the Goblin thing. It's like Iron Maiden, 
and you, it's <laughs> that's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's man. That's a weird movie. We should. So we should do that at some point. It, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I want to do that one. Like everything you. This is this is this the one you also said it's about a girl who can talk to bugs. Yes. Yeah. Jennifer Connelly <laughs> plays a oh uh, an American like Catholic school girl who is in Switzerland or something, and she she figures out that she can talk to bugs, and it's just a really strange movie. I really want to watch this one now. Yeah, well, we'll put it on the list. <laughs> Please. I, I really, I will use a wild card for it if I have to. <laughs> Speaking of lists, this is number, what did I say this was? Number 73 on our list. How do you hmm. feel about the placement? Do you think it should be higher, lower, or do you think it's in a good place? Uh, whenever, whenever we ask this question, I always feel like a broken record because I always bring up like the shining and the thing mm-hmm. and that those are those are kind of my barometers of where i think every other movie should belong on this list and i would put this after those okay. so it's it's tough for me because i i i can see why this is in the top hundred but i don't think i would keep it there if it meant I could swap it out for something like that. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure, yeah. I think... I think this probably deserves to be somewhere just past the 100 mark on the other, so, like, lower. I would say, you know, like, 125 or something like that. So just, like, kind of flip it from where it is now. Yeah, Um, I I was thinking I'd be comfortable with this around 130, so... Yeah, yeah. Because I, I do think it's an important movie, and uh, I don't think it's... Uh, Suspiria is number 65. I'm more comfortable with that being at 65 than I am with this being at yeah. 75. Yeah. Um. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy it's on the list. I think it probably could be a little bit lower, but I, it's it's not too bad position-wise. No, no, I don't... I'm not... I'm not, like, mad at it <laughs> for where <laughs> it's at. I'm more just... Whenever I draw those sort of comparisons, I have to think about it in those terms, and yeah, yeah, that make that's what makes me want to move it less less so than I think it doesn't deserve its spot, and more that I think there are other things I would just put ahead of it. Mm, mm. I think it's going to do it. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, but I mean, I guess I would just say this movie is weird as hell, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this is a you know it's. <laughs> This is not one, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, this isn't one that I would necessarily recommend to everybody. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> I I feel like you can recommend, we haven't even talked about this, we haven't watched Suspiria, but we've been talking about it a lot. Um, <laughs> I feel like you could probably recommend Suspiria to most people just because Suspiria is such its own thing that mm-hmm. it's sort of... you. It's gonna, it's gonna do, it's gonna do its own work. Whereas this is too much of something that's relatable uh, for someone who's not expecting weirdness to enjoy it. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's too close to almost being a normal genre yes, movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know who. I would recommend this too. Like I'm, I'm just thinking through 
like friends and loved ones in my mm-hmm. head and I, I can't really come up with anybody i'd be like oh so and so would enjoy this it's mm. I'm, i know there are other people out there who of course would but you know it's uh it's not the uh a crowd pleaser i don't think yeah one of the more interesting things about horror movies and i, I feel like this is fairly unique as, as far as film genres go you kind of have to do a bit of like a family tree of stuff that people like before you can recommend them something you know what i mean so it's like well you're looking for a horror movie okay great which what do you like well i like this 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 and in your head you're going okay so no argento movies that's probably going to be too much uh not this (laughs) stuff not this stuff oh what about this one so it's whereas like if if someone's really into dramas you can kind of throw a drama at them and they'll probably be fine or comedies or whatever but you really have to kind of dial in someone's tastes with with a lot of horror movies before you can really recommend something yeah yeah definitely it's not just like i like westerns right right it's like okay then i got you horses deserts guys shooting guns here you go yeah because i i mean i've been in the situation where where one or more people are like oh man i love horror movies let's watch a horror movie and then i I pick one and they're like, not this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like hard pass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah, totally. Because I I think part of it is that horror is is such a diverse genre. Like you have everything from something like this to something like Scream to a movie like Saw. Like Mm -hmm. you're just the variation is pretty wide. Whereas like. Most rom-coms have pretty standard, like, tropes and themes that they're going to deal with. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's part of the fun, though. Get to jump around and sample a bunch of different stuff. Speaking of sampling different things, I've hit the randomizer button again. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. Next time, we'll be jumping way up the list and doing number 18, Hereditary. (gasps) Yeah. Which that'll be a fun one to do. That'll be a fun one. Yes. I know. I know. Wes is a big fan of that one, so I might throw it at him and see if he wants to join us. Uh, but yeah, yeah I'm looking I'll, forward I'll to talking. I'll happily about fight that. with Wes over Hereditary. Yeah, I will. I will. I will ring the bell and then step into the shadows and let you two go <laughs> at it if you want. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it'll be very civil. Oh yeah. Uh, but that's going to do it. Thank you guys for listening. If you like what you hear, if you want to give us a rating or review in iTunes, or tell your friends. Who are also into horror movie podcasts, but we don't want to be the horror movie podcast where someone's like, recommend me a podcast, and then you do ours, and they're like, not that one. Yeah. So. <laughs> the Dario Argento of horror movie podcasts. Honestly, if that's what we, I would be fine with that title, actually, now that you put it that way. But um, It's going to be our, our subtitle from now on. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there are other, there are probably other shows that already use that, but. <laughs> Uh, Thank you guys again. Thank you, Amanda, for joining me. Thank you, Clay. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.